We're going to turn our attention now to the Word of God. If you brought your Bibles here today, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 as we continue this series, uh, Understanding Jesus. And by the way, we will be taking communion at the end of our time together, and so you're supposed to receive this when you came in. If you didn't receive it, you can raise your hand, and one of our ushers will be happy to bring it to you. But Matthew chapter 20 is where we are, and we're looking at a really, really rich section of Scripture here today. And to kind of get the lay of the land, I want to read this passage ahead of time, and then uh, we'll, we'll pray and then we'll dive into what it says here. So we'll also have these words on the screen. Jesus is speaking here and he is talking to his disciples. And this is what he says. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing about five in the afternoon. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same that I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord. And as we study your word and what it has to say here, Father, I just pray that you would, um, God, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord, to understand what it is that you want to get across, Father, and that, uh, Lord, we would, we would receive what you want to say to us here today, Father. So we give this time over to you, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we begin here today, uh, I want to begin with this thought, okay? And the thought is this. It's a question. Have you ever thought about how important it is to look at things through the right perspective in this life? Have you ever thought about how important it is to make sure that you have the right perspective as you go through life? So at the beginning of this year, January, February time frame, uh, I came down with kind of a mysterious illness, okay? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, my stomach started hurting throughout the day. I started to get a headache very early on in the day that would last throughout most of the day. And I started to feel really extra tired at night. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I took a COVID test. It was negative. I was getting plenty of sleep at night. But still, I, I just wasn't getting any better. And I started to get a little bit concerned about what was happening. Well, one day, a few days into this mysterious sickness, I was driving somewhere. And as I was driving, kind of out of exhaustion, I started rubbing my left eye like this. And as I rubbed my left eye, obviously, I was looking only out of my right eye. And, and I noticed that things didn't look right. Things kind of looked extra blurry. And it was then that the wheels in my head started turning. And so when I got to a stoplight, I closed my right eye, which means I was only looking out of my left eye. 
And as I was only looking out of my left eye, I also noticed that things didn't look right. But things didn't look right in a different way. They were too in focus. Like if you've ever worn a pair of glasses with too strong a prescription. And it was then that all of a sudden the light bulb went off in my head. See, I don't know if you know this, but I wear contact lenses. And I have a different prescription for each eye because this eye is a lot stronger than this eye. And what that means, of course, is when I go to bed at night or when I wake up in the morning, I have to be extra careful to make sure that I don't get my contact lenses switched. Well, evidently, one night or one morning, I wasn't as careful as I needed to be. And so for a few days, I was walking throughout this world looking at things through the wrong lens. I was looking at things through the wrong perspective. And it was literally making me sick. And this is a true story, brothers and sisters. I know some of you are starting to doubt that doctor before my name, but this is a true story. And you know what? This came, became such a great illustration for me of that old phrase that I'm sure many of you heard before, and that is perspective is everything, right? Perspective is everything. In order to make sense of this world, you have to make sure that you're looking at things through the right lenses, through the right perspective. Perspective is everything, or at the very least, perspective is very important. And that's definitely what we need to keep in mind as we study this parable we're taking a look at today. So just so you know, this parable in Matthew chapter 20 that I read to you just a second ago, this is kind of a notorious parable for those who have been in the church for a while. In fact, this past week I was uh, having dinner at my parents' house. My mom asked me what I was teaching on this weekend, and I said the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, that's usually what this called. And immediately my mom got this sort of offended look on her face. And she said something like this, she said, Ugh. She said, I never thought that parable was fair. She said, I never thought that parable was fair. And immediately I said, thank you for giving me my introduction for this message this weekend. But you know what? My mom's assessment of this parable, she's not alone in that. That is the common assessment of this particular parable. That it's not fair. That, that what happens in this story is not fair. And let me tell you something. I agree with the assessment of that parable. After studying this passage for a couple of weeks now, I have realized that I think what happens in this parable is not fair. But here's what you need to understand. I think that this parable is not fair probably in a very different way than many of you think it's not fair. And that's what I want to show you today. But obviously I'm getting ahead of myself, right? What exactly is this parable about? Why do so many people think that this parable is not fair? Well, let's take a look at it. Uh, just so you know, the, the parable does start out innocently enough, okay? It starts out very simply. Uh, if you were paying attention as I read earlier, you would have seen that Jesus tells a story of a landowner, presumably in Israel. And this landowner, we're told he owns a vineyard. And one day we're told he needs some work done on his vineyard. And we're not told exactly what that work has done. Maybe he needed his vineyard pruned. Maybe he needed the grapes to be picked. But whatever it is, it's very clear that the amount of work was too much work for just this landowner or maybe just this landowner and his family. So what the landowner does is he does something that was very common in this day and age. In the first century, somewhat similar today, they had groups of people that were known as day laborers. And day laborers were people who did not have a regular consistent job. Their job would ch change from day to day. And what these day laborers would do is very early in the morning, often before 6 a.m., they would go down to the local marketplace and they would hang out there. And right around 6 a.m., which was the start of the workday in that time, business people from all over the region would come to that marketplace. And they would hire workers to do whatever work was needed in that day. And that's exactly what we're told this landowner does. 
He goes down to the marketplace at 6 a.m. and he hires some of these day laborers to work in his vineyard. And very important to the story, not only does Jesus tell us that he hires some workers, he also tells us that they agree upon a wage. The landowner says that in exchange for working from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours, which was the workday in that time, this landowner would pay these workers one denarius. And just so you know, that was a very fair amount of money. A denarius was a Roman silver coin, and one denarius was considered enough to be able to feed your family, to take care of yourself for the day, and so on. And so that's the opening of the story, and it's very normal. I mean, the scene that Jesus unfolds for us here is a scene that would have happened every single day, multiple times a day in the land of Israel. It's all very normal. Where this story starts to take a turn, however, is what happens as we continue on. Because again, if you were paying attention, you would have seen that Jesus talks about not just one trip that this landowner makes to this marketplace, but we're told that he makes several trips throughout the day. You, you see this starting in verse 3. We're told he goes again at 9 a.m. And then he goes again at noon. And then he goes again at 3 p.m. And then the real kicker is he goes at 5 p.m. When there's only one hour left in the working day. And each day he goes to the marketplace, he hires more workers to work in his vineyard. And this would have been really strange. Now occasionally in the first century, just like today, it would be common for a landowner maybe to underestimate the amount of work that he needed done. And so therefore, occasionally a landowner may have to go back to the marketplace at 9 a.m. or noon to hire additional workers. That would sometimes happen. But we don't have any record of a landowner returning back to the marketplace at 3 p.m. or especially at 5 p.m. when there's only one hour left to hire some more workers. I mean, that's kind of odd. And to add to the oddness of this, listen, you know, what kind of day laborer, what kind of worker would still be hanging out in a marketplace at 5 p.m. with one hour left in the day hoping to get work for that day? I mean, these workers, they are probably not the sharpest tools in the shed, okay? At the very least, they're not the hardest workers, otherwise they would have been hired by other people. And so the impression that we are given is this landowner, he hires probably the worst workers around at this time to, to work for him when there's only one hour left. That's kind of strange. But you know what? It gets even stranger. Because what happens next, we're told, is when it comes time to pay everybody, do you know how much these yahoos who only work for one hour, do you know how much they get paid? We're told that they get paid the same exact amount of money as the ones who had worked for, for, since 6 a.m. They get paid the same amount of money as the ones who had slaved away for 12 hours. That's exactly what we see in verses 9 and 10. Look with me there. It says, The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And so what we're told here is everybody who works for this landowner, they receive the same amount of money regardless of how much they worked. That's crazy, isn't it? But you know what? It gets even crazier. Because what we find out next is these workers who worked for work since 6 a.m., they start to get upset when they learn that the people who only work for one hour are getting paid the same amount as them. And so we're told that they start to complain and they start to grumble to the landowner, which is exactly what we would expect them to do. 
And where the story gets really crazy is rather than take the side of the workers, which is maybe what we would expect Jesus to do. I mean, didn't Jesus stand up for the little guy, right? Rather than take the side of the workers, you know whose side Jesus takes? He takes the man's side. He takes the boss's side. And that's exactly what is made clear by the speech that Jesus gives the landowner, starting in verse 13. Look again there. Jesus puts these words in the landowner's mouth. It says, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. And by the way, friend is not a very endearing term there. The Greek word signified some distance. If Jesus were saying this today, he may say something like this. I'm not being unfair to you, bud. I'm not being unfair to you, guy. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give them to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And it's very clear here that Jesus is taking the landowner's side. He is saying that the landowner was completely right in what he did. And therefore the workers had no right to complain. Do you see why, as I said, this is a notorious parable? I mean, what's going on here? Is Jesus trying to, to get us all to be socialist and pay everybody the same amount of money regardless of how much they worked? Is that what's going on here? Well, no, well, absolutely not, okay? Like all stories Jesus tells, like all parables Jesus tells, this is ultimately a story about God and about how God operates. Jesus makes that clear in verse 1 when he says, For the kingdom of God is like a landowner. This is a story about God and God's kingdom and how God operates in his kingdom. So what lesson is Jesus trying to get across to us about God? Well, among other things, what Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable is he is trying to teach us how absolutely unfair our God is. And how grateful we are to be for that. He's trying to teach us how absolutely unfair God treats each and every one of us. And how thankful for that we are to be. Now what do I mean by that? Why do I say that? Well let me explain. Do you know men and women? Do you know what I think are three of the most dangerous words in the English language? I may have shared this with you before. But do you know what I think are three of the most deadly and treacherous words in the English language? Well, they are the words, I deserve it. I deserve it. I think those are three of the most dangerous words in the English language. Now, you wouldn't know that based on how often those words are used today, right? I mean, in many ways, I deserve it. That's sort of the catchphrase of our day and age. You go up to the average person on the street and you ask him why good things are happening to them, if good things are happening to them. Uh, I would imagine one out of three people would probably say something like this. Well, it's obvious. It's because I deserve it. I'm a good person. I've done good things. I deserve these good things happening to me. I deserve it. That's the catchphrase of our day and age. So, if it is so popular today, why do I think it's so dangerous? Well, the reason why is because from God's perspective, remember what I said earlier, perspective is very important. From God's perspective, men and women, what is it that we really deserve? From God's perspective, what is it that we really deserve in this life? As I was working on this parable this past week, especially as I was studying the, the grumbling and complaining of these co-workers here in uh, this passage I was thinking of a video that I shared with you years ago. 
It was a video that involved an experiment with some monkeys, and some of you may remember this. But uh, there was an experiment involving monkeys that happened a few years ago, and the experiment worked like this. What they did is they trained two monkeys to perform a simple task. And the task was that these monkeys, they had, had to hand a researcher a rock. And in exchange for performing this task, these monkeys would be given a reward. And initially what they did is they gave both monkeys the same reward, and that was a piece of cucumber to eat. And the monkeys were perfectly happy with that. They would perform the same task over and over and over again in exchange for a cucumber. But then what they did in this experiment is they introduced inequality into the situation. They kept on giving one monkey a cucumber, but they gave another monkey a grape in exchange for performing the same task, in full sight of the monkey who was receiving a cucumber. And just like for us humans, monkeys prefer grapes to cucumbers. Everybody knows a grape is better than a cucumber, right? Monkeys prefer grapes to cucumbers. And I want you to see what the monkey who received a cucumber did. When she picked up on this inequality that was going on. Turn your eyes to the screen and see the experiment the unfold on the here. Is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now. Gets again cucumber. She tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> so this is basically the Wall Street protest that you see here. Isn't that, isn't that video great, by the way? But isn't that video a picture of what we see in this parable? The grumbling, complaining workers in this parable. But you know what? That video is not just a picture of what we see in this parable. That video is a picture of real life, isn't it? It's a picture of you and me. I mean, let's be honest here, men and women. Is there anything more infuriating in this life than seeing someone get ahead or seeing someone have something good happen to them when we don't think that they deserve it? I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's one of the most frustrating things for me. Seeing other people get good things, things that I don't have, things that I don't think they deserve. There are a few things in life more frustrating for me than that. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And when we see those things happen and when we experience that frustration, where do we often direct that frustration? Well, if you're like a lot of Christians, you direct that frustration at God. That's what I do sometimes, right? We sort of shake our fists at God and we say, God, you're not fair. God, how could you give them that? God, that's what I deserve. That's not what they deserve. God, that's what I deserve. But here's what we forget, and this is what I asked earlier. Do you know what we really deserve from God's perspective? This is going to be a hard truth for some of you because I know some of you have never taught this before, but it absolutely is the Bible's truth. What do we deserve from God's perspective? Well, there are a couple of verses in the book of Romans that makes it clear. The first verse is Romans 3.23. It says this, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And then the second verse is Romans 6.23. It says this. This is the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And when you put those two verses together, what is it that we deserve from God's perspective? Well, because of our sin, we deserve death. We deserve death. And by the way, in the book of Romans there, death refers to more than just physical death, though it includes that. But death also refers to spiritual death. It it refers to God's judgment. It refers to God's wrath. It refers to separation from God. It, It refers to hell. And from the Bible's perspective, from God's perspective, men and women, because of our sin, that's what we deserve. We deserve hell. Now, the wonderful thing about our God, men and women, is that very often in this life, God doesn't give us what we deserve, right? And this is the good news of Christianity. You know, everybody likes to talk about the good news of Christianity, but the good news of Christianity doesn't make any sense if you don't know the bad news of Christianity. The bad news of Christianity is that we all deserve hell, but the good news of Christianity is that God often doesn't give us what we deserve. Though we deserve hell, God gives some people heaven. Though we deserve God's judgment, God gives us blessings in this life. Though we deserve God's wrath, God often gives us mercy. Even though according to God we deserve bad things, God often gives us good things. But, and here is what is crucial to keep in mind, Because we don't deserve those good things, you know what those good things are? Well, by very definition, they're gifts. Isn't that what a gift is? A gift is something that you don't deserve and you aren't owed, right? A gift is something that you don't deserve and you aren't owed. And that's what the good things in our life are. James puts it this way in James chapter 1 verse 17, very clearly. He says, whatever is good and perfect is a what? is a gift coming down to us from God the Father. Everything good that we experience in this life is a gift. That's what God's Word says. And here's what we need to realize about gifts. Gifts are never owed. They're never required. A gift is always freely given. That's what makes it a gift. It's never owed. It's never required. And it's always freely given. That's what makes it a gift. And that's what brings us back to this parable. You know, these these workers who showed up at 6 a.m., they thought they deserved more because they worked more. But in all honesty, men and women, what is it that they really deserve? Well, in one sense, we can say that they got what they deserved. They agreed to work for a denarius, and they got a denarius. So in one sense, we can say that they got what they deserved. But in another sense, what did they really deserve? Did the landowner have to hire him? Did he have to give them work? Did he have to choose these ones to be the ones to work? No, he wasn't obligated to hire him. He didn't have to give them work. And that's essentially what the landowner makes clear to these workers in verse 15. I really think verse 15 is the the most important verse in this uh, particular passage here. And at the beginning of verse 15, the landowner says to these workers this. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with, and literally that says, with what is mine. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine. In essence, what the landowner is saying here is he's saying, yeah, you're right, friend. Those people who worked only for an hour, they didn't get what they deserve. You're right, I didn't give them what they deserve. But honestly, I didn't give you what you deserve either. But you know what? 
that's okay. Because you see, I'm the sort of landowner that doesn't give people what they deserve. I like to be generous to people. I like to give gifts to people. I'm the sort of landowner that doesn't give people what they deserve. But because what I give to people are gifts, because they freely come from me and no one deserves them, then don't ever think that you can tell me what I can and can't do with what is mine. And don't ever go down the road of thinking that you deserve another person's gift. That's what the landowner says to these workers. And you know what? That's what God says to you and me. You know, so many people want to talk to God about what they deserve and what other people don't deserve and so on. But we need to be careful about going down the road as of I deserve it. Because what did we just establish? Well, what is it that we really deserve in this life? We deserve judgment, right? We deserve hell. Now, the amazing thing about our God, as we said, is he doesn't give us what we deserve. God is generous and he gives us good things. But here's the key. Let us never make the mistake of thinking that those good things are owed to us. Let us never make the mistake of thinking that God is somehow required to give us those good things. Because it's that wrong perspective that causes us to start comparing the gifts that God has given others to the gifts that God has given us. And it's that wrong perspective then that causes us to start thinking that we are owed the same things as other people. And that's just not the case. As we said, everything good in this life is a gift. It comes from God and it's freely given by Him. We don't deserve it. And so God has a right to do what He wants with what is His. God has a right to do what He wants with what is His. And that is the main takeaway, I believe, from this parable. It's that God has a right to do what He wants with what is His. And we don't have a right to complain. Or as Chuck Swindoll put it, a little bit more sharply, but maybe a little bit more harshly too. That the main point of this parable is this. Stop grumbling about your life and let God be God. Stop grumbling about your life and let God be God. And listen, I know that sounds really harsh, but you know what? Living that out, that's the key to experiencing joy in our life. Understanding that, that that's the key to, to keep life from becoming miserable. As I was working on this message, I was reminded of a phrase, I'm sure some of you have heard it before, but the phrase goes like this, it says, comparison is the thief of joy. Have you ever heard that before? Great statement. Comparison is the thief of joy, and that's so true. I mean, think of the monkey in that parable, right? That, or in that video, that monkey was perfectly happy to receive that piece of cucumber until what? Until she saw what someone else was getting. And that's when she got angry. And that's what happens to us as well. That's why I think comparison is ultimately the tool of the enemy. Satan loves us. Loves it when we compare ourselves to other people and what God gifts other people versus what God gifts us. Because he knows that when we do that, that's when we experience that frustration. And that's when we experience that anger. And we direct it at God. Like the monkey in that video, right? We shake our fist and we say, God, you're not fair. And you're right. God is not fair. Your neighbor doesn't deserve that new car. Your coworker doesn't deserve that promotion. The couple down the street doesn't deserve what they are receiving. But you know what? We don't deserve what we have either. 
That's why I agree with my mom. This parable is not fair and God is not fair, but not in the way that we might think. God's unfairness comes not from the fact that sometimes he comparatively gives more good things to to some than others in this life. No, instead God's unfairness comes from the fact that he gives good things to anybody at all. That's why, brothers and sisters, that's why gratitude is so important. That's why thanking God for the good things that we have in this life is so important. In fact, I go as far to say this. You want to know that you're looking at life through the right perspective? You want to know that you're looking at life through the right lens? It's when you can be grateful for everything in your life, realizing that you don't deserve it, and it's a gift. That's how we know that we're looking at life through the right perspective. That's why I'd encourage you, and I've encouraged you to do this before. If you don't already have a habit of it, have a habit of, of writing down five things a day that you're thankful for. Five things a day that you can praise God for in your life, that you can recognize as God's gifts to you. That will help you develop this right perspective. And, and obviously, men and women, obviously the greatest gift that God gives us is the gift of salvation, Right? The least deserved and therefore the greatest gift that God gives us is the gift of an eternity with him. And I know that's what Jesus intends us to see in this parable as well. You know, as many scholars have pointed out before in this parable, that that landowner, he's clearly a representation of God. And the workers, they're, they're clearly a representation of you and me and, and the people here on this earth. And, and so therefore, the fact that this landowner keeps on going back to the marketplace to, to get more and more workers, that's meant to be a reflection of God's desire to have as many people in heaven as possible. God's desire to extend salvation to as many people as, as, as will accept it through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then these workers who show up at 6 a.m., you know who they represent? They represent the people who accept Jesus earlier in their life. They represent the the people who accept Jesus earlier in their life and then they spend their entire life trying to serve him. In many ways, honestly, the worker who shows up at 6 a.m., it it represents someone like me. Many of you know my story. I I basically grew up a Christian. I grew up in the church. I accepted Jesus when I was seven years old in second grade. And although I haven't done it perfectly, I I have tried to live my life doing what Jesus asked me to do. I've, I've tried to live my life serving him. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, okay? It's been hard at times. It has cost me some things in this life. Some of you know this, but I haven't always been a pastor. When I graduated from college, my first job out of college was at a very prestigious company, one of the most prestigious companies in the world at this time, a company called Goldman Sachs. And let me tell you, it was a very lucrative job. In fact, I made more my first year out of college than I make now 18 years later as a pastor. And that was my starting salary. I mean, if I stayed in that job, I probably could have been retired by now. I try not to think about that all too often. (laughs) But I knew I couldn't stay in that job. Because it's not what God called me to do. It's not the work he wanted me to do. He wanted me to be a pastor, and so I left that behind, and I've become a pastor. And so, yeah, it's been hard at times. It's cost me some things. And so I'm kind of like the worker who shows up at 6 a.m. Well, if I'm like the worker who shows up at 6 a.m., who's the worker who shows up at 5 p.m.? 
Well, that's like the person who accepts Jesus very late in their life. That's the person who lives for themselves. And then maybe on their deathbed, they realize their need for Jesus. And so they turn to him two minutes before they die. Things like that happen all the time. Well, you know what Jesus tells us in this parable? He tells us one day, that person and me, we're both going to stand before God. And despite my lifetime of serving Jesus, compared to this man's two minutes of serving Jesus, you know what each of us are going to get? We're going to get the same heaven. We're going to get the same salvation. We're going to get the same eternity with God, despite the fact that comparatively I have given up a lot more than this other man. Both of us will end up in the same place at the end of time. And if you don't think that's fair, that's, you're right. That is not fair. Because for as much as I have given up to serve Jesus, I still don't deserve heaven. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. You know what that makes heaven? Heaven's a gift. And because heaven is a gift, God has a right to do with that gift whatever he wants. And right now, he wants to give that gift to some of you. I know there are some of you here, you have never put your faith in Jesus before. Well, I want to let it, make it clear, that's the only way to receive the gift of eternal life. We have to say yes to Jesus. And some of you have never done that. Well, guess what? Right now, God's come down to the marketplace. And right now, God is offering you the gift of salvation. He's offering you eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Will you accept it? Will you say yes to it? Oh, I know what some of you are thinking. But Chris, you just gave the greatest reason not to. <laughs> I mean, if the person who accepts Jesus now gets the same thing as the person who accepts Jesus two minutes before they die, I'll just wait until the end of my life. I'll just wait till my deathbed and I'll live my life for myself and then I'll change my mind at the last minute. And you know what? That's definitely something you can do. But here's my question. How do you know when the last minute's going to come? See, there's coming a day, men and women, when the workday is going to be done. There's coming a day when we will miss our chance to be hired by the landowner. And that may come at a different time for each and every one of us. It may come for someone tonight. That's just the reality. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before God and have him give you what you deserve? Or do you want to get a whole new perspective on life? Right now, God is offering you the gift of salvation. Will you say yes to that gift? Only you can make that decision. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, your word tells us that you love us. But Father, your love for us says nothing about us, and it says everything about you, God. Father, we thank you for that love that you share for us, Lord. We thank you that you give us repeatedly what we do not deserve, Father. God, often we take that for granted and we don't understand that always, Lord. But, um, Father, everything you give us that is good in this life, it is a gift. 
And Lord, right now, I know that you are extending that gift of salvation. You want to offer it to some people in this room right now, God. And, and I know there are some people, they're resisting it. They know that, that you're reaching out to them and, and, and they're saying no, God. I pray that right now you would open up their hearts to say yes, Father. That you would let them know that you are inviting them into your vineyard, Lord. You're inviting them into your presence, God. And what an incredible gift that is, Father. God, I pray that they would recognize their need to be invited in, God. They would recognize their sins, and they would recognize that Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross to forgive them from their, from their sins, God. But that Jesus didn't stay dead, and three days later, he rose from the grave, Father. And anybody who believes that, and anybody that believes Jesus is Lord, God, they will receive that gift of eternal life, Father. And so, God, I just pray that right now, Lord, um, you would welcome more people into your vineyard. You would welcome more people into your kingdom, Father. We know that's entirely up to you, Father, and the person who is sitting here in their own heart, Lord, and so you do the work that only you can do, Father. And God, for all of us, I pray, Lord, that we would have attitudes of gratitude towards what you have given us, Father, that we would never see what we are given in this life as what is owed, as what is deserved, Father, but instead it is, it is a gift from you, Lord, and the greatest thing in the world, Father, is that you are a God who loves to give us gifts, Father. And so let, we, let us recognize that for what they are, and God, as we go to this song now and praise you, Father, I pray it would come from hearts of gratitude for who you are, for what you have done, for what you have given us, Father. We love you so much, God. We thank you. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.